You know, getting ridiculously drunk and going to a parade in the two days in between kind of make you feel like it was a weekend. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. There's a lot of booze-filled shenanigans and, and you know, meatheadery um, like you would expect in Jersey. People say it wasn't Speedo enough. It wasn't Speedo at all. I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are two sorry excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Week 16. Two sorry excuses. Time flies. Yeah, I thought this was an unusually early in the week recording, and I realized it was Wednesday. Yeah, man, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable, but it's all screwed up. Um, I think we got plenty to cover. Um, looking back, and then you know, a a dearth of activity uh, going forward. So, might as well get on it while things are fresh in our mind. But first, how was your week? My week's been uh, pretty good, actually. You know, trying to get back to work today, and kept thinking it was Monday, you know, even though I was. Even though I did go into work for a few hours Monday, you know, getting ridiculously drunk and going to a parade in the two days in between kind of make you feel like it was a weekend. So last we left our hero, you were in the uh, midst of of ramping up for Mardi Gras. You had just... You had just finished up some festivities on a Friday night, and we talked Saturday morning, um, and you were headed out for for some big events on Saturday and Sunday, or no, you were laying low? Saturday, I went to a buddy's house who lives right off the parade route um, for, for, I guess, technically the biggest parade, and Demi and they got all these ridiculously huge floats and everything, and it's a, you know... They, that was the one I was telling you about where people are camping out the week before the thing. Yeah. yeah it's like a big old party along the whole way, you know? Well, not to get too deep into the Mardi Gras discussion because we, we, we covered that um, yes. last week. But I was curious after we, after we kind of wrapped up it, with the concept of the parade route. Um, it, now, in Curacao, they go down the same route. For, for every one of their parades. And there's only... There's only except, fo- for the, except for Endymion. That's how it works in, in New Orleans? It, it, One the- Saturday. Well, see, before Katrina, they used to be... Endymion's run the Mid-City route. They've been around since the late 60s or whatever. Uh, 
and they had other parades that ran in Mid City. You know, it's a that's where my high school was. It's a different part of town. You know. Okay. And after Katrina, like, because the police force was running thin, you know, and there were so many other issues to deal with, they made everybody run the uptown route, you know, including a few parades. There were a few parades that ran the Mid-City Road because that's where they were from because, you know, a lot of these parades were started by, like, businessmen and civic organizations, you know? Okay. So, like, the businessmen from the Mid-City area started a parade called the Karoo Mid-City, you know, and there was... um, there was a couple others, but they made everybody run the uptown route, including Endymion. But Endymion did that for one year in 2000, I guess that must have been 2006. Uh, 2007, they ran the uptown route. Uh, and then um, and then after that, uh, they said, well, uh, that's all right. Everybody can do that. But they were pretty much like, we need to run the, the mid-city route because that's where we belong it's where we always were so they're the only ones doing it now whereas the other ones you know they're not as they don't have as much sway so they all have been subjected to run the uptown route because thing is it's a lot cheaper because you already have the cops in one place you know it's just a logistical issue with with having two separate mardi gras routes you know so if you have a house and everything if you have a house on the uptown route, on the uptown route, you're psyched. You, everything's coming by you except the, except the one major parade. Yeah, pretty much every every parade uh, on the uptown route goes. Uh, well, everyone passes St. Charles at at Jackson. They all, everyone goes down St. Charles that way and least circle around the others. <coughs> But not everyone goes the same exact route on Uptown, but most of them do. Uh, Zulu doesn't go the same route as everyone else because they start down and Jackson meet it at St. Charles. Uh, some start at, most start on a street called Napoleon. Most start there. And then they got some that start further down at, on Magazine Street and wind that way and turn on Napoleon. But, um, but if you're pray, but if you're on, if you live, well, hey, you're rich if you live on the route anyway. If you live on St. Charles, because there's no poor people living on that street. <laughs> uh, I mean, at least I own houses, you know. Right. Uh, so, so you're doing all right. But if, but even if you live like you know four or five blocks off the route, you're in pretty damn good position, you know. Right. You have a party. You got a place to, uh, for people to go pee. You know, it's a. You know, you can go, uh, you know, uh, you can reinvigorate yourself for a little bit if you're getting down on the parade scene for a bit, you know. So it's a good deal being uh, being near, within close proximity to the route, you know. Yeah, the, um, the, um, the, the parade season keeps you, keeps you pretty busy whether you're, interested in that or not right because that whole area has got to be tied up whether you're going yeah or or not going so that kind of you know limits your availability in terms of places you can go so i imagine that it's it's it's, it's worth just hitting it whether you're interested in it or not yeah i mean what's weird is when you walk down there occasionally you'll see houses that totally 
They, there's nobody hanging in the front yard. There's no sign. The lights are out. People that have just decided to opt out of the Mardi Gras. You know? Okay. Which is an odd concept to me, but they're probably people... Because a lot of people in New Orleans take the opportunity to Mardi Gras. You know, if you're inclined, you, you go skiing. There used to be a teacher named Mr. Newberger at Jesuit. He used to refer to it as the Jesuit Ski Club. You know, the all the kids that would be coming with their with their notes to let the teacher know they'd either be leaving on that Friday or they'd be out uh, on the Thursday and Friday of Mardi Gras week because they'd be in Colorado skiing. You know, and then um, a lot of people also like to go to Disney World because you go to Disney World Mardi Gras week, you got the place to yourself. You know, because uh-huh. nobody in the rest of the country's off. That makes sense. Yeah, so, so, New Orleans, so, Mar- so Disney World's full of New Orleanians. On Mardi Gras week, you know, and I guess if I had a family, that would be something I'd be interested in doing. Uh, my buddy Jacob, who I was with, at the ball with the other night, he was like, please, I'm just going to go skiing next year because he's he's kind of fed up with the whole Mardi Gras thing, you know, and he's got a couple of kids, so it's kind of overwhelming, I guess. But uh, I don't know. You got to... Um, Funny thing is, they do Mardi Gras and Metairie, too, where I live proper. Right. You know, you've been to my parents' house. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And before I was born, when my parents first moved here, they used to do Mardi Gras down this street. But, it, you know, they they decided the parades had gotten too big. You know, it was kind of dangerous because it's a narrow street. So they moved it to a big thoroughfare, Veterans, which is kind of like an eerie boulevard type of thing. You know, it doesn't really have too much charm or atmosphere, you know? Right. And uh, they there was rumors that they were thinking about bringing back the Jever- the Metairie Parades to Metairie Road kind of to add more appeal to them, you know? Right. Because it's a, it's, it's a more idyllic-looking parade route, you know? Yep. Because there's oak trees lining, you know? It's, it's a nice little, you know, town street. But uh, the neighbors around here, nobody wanted that. Like, I was talking to a guy next door who'd been living there for 50 years. He's like, that's the last thing I want, you know? So it is funny. Like, not everybody sees parades as such a blessing. As well, much as it's just annoying because you you got to deal with coming home and traffic problems. We're not going to shut the road off to your house. All that. And it's even an issue when I leave work. You know, it's like, oh... Wait, are they gonna shut this off yet? Which way do I have to go? You know, it's there's little pains, but it's um the way I look at it, if you're gonna stay in New Orleans during Mardi Gras, you gotta be all in. You know, just just learn to love it. If not, get the hell out of town for for a few days. Yeah, that's funny. Last week um we were chatting about it and I was lamenting the piss poor attitude of the of the Jersey Shore locals during the summertime and how they, you know, fail to embrace the you know, the tourist season. But I totally forgot and underestimated uh, their vim and vigor when it comes to St. Patty's Day, which is essentially the Jersey Shore's answer to Mardi Gras. Because yeah. from um, the first Sunday in March to the um, the last Sunday in March, there's a, there's a St. Patrick's Day parade somewhere within a 10 to 12 mile uh, radius of of where I live, so last weekend was um, was the kickoff 
a kind of the granddaddy of them all, which is the Belmar St. Patty's Day Parade. And um, that is right along Main Street, right by the train station. So not only does it have a bunch of locals, people kind of truck in for it and it can get, you know, a, a pretty, pretty good, um, you know, pretty good population of, of spectators somewhere in the line, along the lines of, you know, 30 to 40,000 people on the parade route. Um, yeah. And then they roll out parades every other weekend. There's a, there's one in Seaside. Uh, then there's one up in, um, in like Keensburg or Rumson area, which is north and south of me respectively. Um, but it's, it's during the off season. So a lot of the, you know, the houses are empty. A yeah. lot of the, um, you know, the traffic and the congestion that normally would be there in the summertime isn't. Um, so it tends to be a little more of an enjoyable experience. People come out in droves for it. It's a good time. It, you know, there's a lot of booze filled shenanigans and, and, you know, meat headery, um, like you would expect in Jersey, but, you know, it's still a pretty good time. Most people behave themselves. But this uh, Sunday is the first ever uh, St. Patty's Day in Asbury Park. First so, ever? Uh, yeah, it's our first parade. And um, there's there's always a ton of parades in um, in, in Asbury. Uh, I think there's a 4th of July parade. Gay Pride Parade is huge in Asbury. And they tend to do it down the main street, but it's a residential street. So if you live on that street, it's actually pretty cool. Um, you can have a party. You can have people, yeah. you know, and check it out. But the St. Paddy's Day Parade is down the boardwalk and, like, the main downtown area. So it's not really residential. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people steered it away from being – you know, residential for the same reasons that, you know, your neighbor did. It gets to be, you know, it can be a little crazy. It can be a little, yeah. when you, especially when you're mixing in booze. You know, St. Patty's well, Day, like, you know, more so than any of the other parades, is just an excuse to get wasted. Well, um, yeah, of course. Uh, they do have a, that is the one parade that still rolls down Metairie Road. Is the annual St. Patrick's Parade, which rolls the Sunday before St. Patrick's Day, unless of course St. Patrick's Day is a Sunday. Uh, so it'll be rolling on the 16th. Uh, so we're getting geared up for that, which is a quick turnaround, man. You know. Yeah, I got to imagine there's occasions when um, it's even it's even quicker than this, right? Yeah, I mean, occasionally it'll be a little quicker than this, but... Uh, Where theoretically you could get Fat Tuesday on I don't know what the latest Fat Tuesday is, but, but it, it's gotten... I think it's happened on the 8th before. You know, I'm not really... I can't say for certain, you know? Right, right. But you, always, you do get a quick turnaround. Uh, so I, I actually pre-ordered the... Uh, I had to go to the grocery store on the way home tonight, actually... And they had a sign, pre-purchased kegs. I was like, oh, no. Uh, every year I just go in there and get the keg the night before or the day of, you know? Right. I was like, oh, is there some new thing? And they're like, oh, this is to get the green beer you can pre-purchase. I was like, I've never heard of that before. They're like, oh, we've been doing it for years. I'm like, they're like, you got to pre-purchase, though. I was like, oh, I guess I'm just such a procrastinator. 
So I said, screw it. Since I'm here anyway, I'll pay for it and get the green beer this year. You pre-ordered the green beer. Yeah. Nice job. And I was like, is there any price difference? They're like, no. I was like, all right, all right. So, um, but the thing about the parades, the St. Patrick's Day parades, they basically have 50 St. Patrick's Day parades where people do nothing but march up the street and wave at people, huh? <laughs> That's it. Maybe um, that- they have some bagpipers and, and some guys dressed in kilts. That's pretty big around here, but. Um- I remember when I was in New York City. Uh, this is 99. It was during spring break, and I went up there to visit my buddy. And it was on St. Patrick's Day, and that New York City St. Patrick's Day parade came down. I was like, oh, let's check this out. And I stood there for like five minutes. I was like, this is complete, completely boring. I'm used to an interactive parade. Oh, yeah, no such thing. No such yeah, thing. Yeah, on our St. Patrick's Day parades, they throw cabbages. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, they throw cabbages, and then they also throw carrots and potatoes. You know, you can you can make your dinner on the St. <laughs> Patrick's Day Parade. Yeah, that's great. No, not up here, man. Halloween is the closest you'll get to an interactive parade. Um, it's candy, I guess. Huh? Yeah, they'll throw the candy. Um, but it's kind of cool they do a Halloween parade. Yeah, and actually um, up here is one of the biggest Halloween parades in uh, – they like to claim in the world, but I don't think Halloween is a is a universal holiday. So yeah, there's not that many places that have Halloween parades. But it's they just a, started a Halloween parade down here a few years ago. Crew of Boo, which they run like a Mardi Gras style Halloween parade, which I imagine is pretty fun. The um, yeah. the East Village in in New York or the West Village, one of the villages, um, runs yeah. a Halloween parade, which is pretty insane. Huh. Uh, here's another question I have. You were talking about the Curacao parade you were in. Yeah. Now, do they throw stuff? Do they throw beads and stuff? Um, they do, but it's not, it doesn't have the significance, um, that it does down by you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's, they're just, um, you know, a handful of trinkets and most of them are, you know, there's not a lot of variety to them. I think, like, some of the booze sponsors might come in and, you know, give the floats a bunch of Bacardi uh, beads, right. a bunch of Bacardi necklaces, and they toss them out. Yeah. And, but that's yeah, about so it. Hell, the other night, one of the guys caught a Jägermeister be- set of beads. So, yeah, I've seen that before. Uh, one other thing about parades. When I was living in Charlestown, the Bunker Hill Parade used to pass a front of our house and the most i ever did was look out the window and i was like oh there's a parade (laughs) (laughs) i mean i didn't really know too many people there brian was always working on the weekends so it kind of like impacted the enjoyment of it all i remember is looking out and seeing bagpipers and kilts walking up the street what 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 day did they celebrate that i think mark it's what day is bunker hill uh, Bunker Hill Day, what was it? it was in March, I believe. I'm going to look it up. It's, But they do it on the weekend, of course. It's the big event in the community. Yeah, like, but it, it didn't coincide with anything else, right? Like, didn't coincide with Patriots Day or... No, it was, it was, its own, it was, it was a Charlestown holiday. Let's see, Bunker Hill Day, June 17th, that's where it is. I was, I was getting mixed up with, uh, 
evacuation day, which is which is conveniently the same day as St. Patrick's Day in Boston. Since you can't you can't have a city holiday for St. Patrick's Day, so they've come up with March seventeenth as evacuation day. <laughs> and so all government shut down so everybody can go get drunk. God bless Boston. I'm actually thinking about headed up there for uh, Marathon Monday. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's been a while. That was always a fun day. What's that? That was always a fun day. Yeah. Because I used to always work, the three years I was living there, I worked at the poorhouse every year for it. You know, I worked the door. And then once... You know, around 3 or 4 o'clock, I would get off and be able to party, and you were already out, like, on a, you know, you are already on the town. It was a good time. I mean, it's going to be an absolute madhouse, but um, Bailey had originally said that he was going to be coming home for it, and I haven't seen him in a, in forever, so uh, I thought that was, yeah. you know, kind of two birds with one stone, but Bailey ended up bailing, um, but I kind of put the plans in motion in my head anyway. So it might be worth it to get up there. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, that'll be a good I, time. I saw, when was that? Was that 2011? That was the last of the Holly Hog. He was there. Bailey he was, was at that hog. You know, was he really? I'm pretty sure. I remember sitting around the fire late night, drinking and talking to him. Well, that could be a possibility. Was I there? Uh, yeah, I believe you were there. I don't think that was the one. Was that the one where you had to be? Escorted out on Bunker Hill Day itself. I mean, Bunker Hill Day on Hollyhock Day itself. Um, yeah, 2011 could have been. I think it might have been one. Was that the one? I mean, I remember Vito was there and your brother was there, and you were you were so <laughs> you were you were classic, you know, college form drunk. Well, the. Great thing about the Hollyhog and, and the Peters House in general is that they have that um, hammock that's kind of in the – it's literally the ground zero of all the festivities. So it's yeah. feet away from the pool. It's feet away from the grill. It's feet away from the bar. Yeah. And it's feet away from the um, uh, horseshoe pits. So yeah. keeping with you know kind of my, my general MO of – you know. Don't worry about what's going to happen later. Just focus on having a good time now. Um, you can kind of be in the center of things and still, you know, be seen even without being coherent because the hammock yep. is right there. And then you can just take a little nap on the hammock. And whether you wake up or not, that's you know, that's left. Well, if to I the... recall, I don't know if it was hammock first. I think it was hammock second. Originally, you you passed out leaning up against the tree. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> like you know, your father-in-law was having a good time. Everybody was having a good time, so, and then they put you in a hammock. And there's a point where we got to get Matt out of here. <laughs> um, I'm trying to see what what that when was the, that? I, I want to say that was the last time I was at the Hog. I was there, so it had to be 2011. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I they just run together, which is one of the reasons why well, I make it up so infrequently. Yeah, I know. Well, the thing I always found funny, you know, is like your brother just sits there all cool, chilling by the pool, while you go off and make a fool of yourself. <laughs> 
happier to just sit there and and laugh at your expense. Well, you know, that's funny because um, that has become, you know, those incidents had become few and far between um, with anybody really being able to laugh at my expense. Now, the the upside is that in the last four or five years, you've been present and been able to see three or four of those yeah. of, of those times, which is bully for you. Um, but now I've kind of gotten back into a groove where I'm where I'm I'm just like, fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> Debauchery and, and tomfoolery. Bring it on. Midlife crisis much? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me you're going to go buy a sports car tomorrow. <laughs> no, no. But I've just been trying to get back into the groove of, of um, you know, kind of laissez-faire. And, um, you know, kind of take it as it comes. No, uh, I know, man. You know, all yeah. those... All those years of working um, in felonious pursuits or working for felons directly, um, you know, kind of takes its toll on you. Yep. So uh, now I'm back, back in the groove, as evidenced by my, um, by my um, speedo-clad polar bear plunge. Okay, uh, we got proof. There's an issue there. All right, well, I did, you're going to hold on to it that it was Speedo. Uh, okay. You said that people say it wasn't Speedo enough. It wasn't Speedo at all. <laughs> all right. It appeared to be a pair of boxer shorts with skulls and crossbones on them. Well, which, first of all, was pretty impressive. Second of all, uh, I would say that they skewed more towards uh, boy shorts. I believe the the proper Something terminology. That's what girls call them when they wear them. Yes, boy shorts. So um, there was there, in my opinion, speaking from the person who who had to seek those out and buy them. Um, I believe they left plenty of skin to qualify as inappropriate attire, and I think that's yeah. what. What I was going for in the spirit of the of the challenge to begin with. Um, well, one of our loyal listeners uh, made this observation, and I tended to agree with her. Uh, they at least should have been Syracuse themed, perhaps. All right. Well, here's the problem. And uh, do you know how hard it is to find speedos? Number one in February, and two in my size. Now, yeah, I, I guess. You should call Mike Reardon. He's the one that's always going to Europe. I'm sure it's easy <laughs> to find over there. Now, when I originally made the claim uh, or the, the challenge, um, I had a couple things working in my favor. One, had not really taken stock of my physical appearance or uh, physical state. And two, I had like six or seven weeks to work with and was going to make a concerted attempt to drop a few LBs and get into at least some semblance of shape. Well, two didn't happen. It was just yeah. the time flew by and forget it. I stood no chance. And by the time I realized I needed to go out and buy a Speedo, realizing that they weren't readily available this time of year and not having bought a Speedo ever, 
I didn't realize that there it's a skinny man's game. So I actually picked up this bathing suit on the way to the plunge at some competitive swimming shop. Uh, oh, okay. That's not too far. It was the best I could do. And um, I did find a Speedo, but it was obscene in terms of how the Franken-beans fit into the bun, so to speak. Yeah. And as you know, um, I was I was blessed or cursed with the gift of humongous balls. So fitting those into a Speedo became problematic. So this was the best I could do to keep things, um, you know, on the up and up. But just so you don't think or so our, our loyal listeners don't, uh, don't think that this was some type of um, cop-out, while standing in line to, to actually make the plunge, um, which actually took me 45 minutes to get from the water to the... Um, <laughs> I just opened the link that you sent me. <laughs> that's gross. I, I figured that's what, that was the cause of the laugh. Uh, so, listen, here's what would have been the problem with with wearing something that revealing or, or that appropriate. Oh, take your pick. That appropriate, yes. While I was standing in line to get in, it was like a cattle uh, herd being shuttled to, to one of the entrances to the beach, and we were all on the boardwalk. And at one point, I heard somebody... Now, you saw the picture. There was plenty of reason for me to be self-conscious. But, you know, I'm, think, I'm thinking to myself, one, this is for an excellent cause. There's no, you know, uh, there's no need to be self-conscious. Two, I promised that I would do this, uh, and, you know, I raised money. So, you know consequences be damned, I'm going to do it. But still, there's, you know, kind of after about 15 or 20 minutes of standing still, you you know, you start to lose your nerve a little bit. And at one point, I heard somebody walk by and go, Ew. <laughs> so at that, at that point, I realized I had accomplished my goal. And regardless of whether or not those classified as Speedo's uh, in the truest sense of the word, they certainly qualified in the spirit. And uh, I made good on my promise. Anybody that had donated received a um, received a uh, an email from me personally uh, with an attachment of the of the picture. Um, although I I have two versions. One is a is an artistic interpretation uh, of a back view, and then the other is just you know just short of pornographic of the front view um i had i had gladly invited anybody who wanted to see the the front full monty um to email me and i would certainly um certainly pass those along but i didn't want to send that one unsolicited as i emailed most people during dinner time so um (laughs) that's where we stood i didn't hear back from anybody and my attempts to put it up on twosorryexcuses.com they just failed. I couldn't, for yeah. some reason, I couldn't get it up. I wasn't going to make it a public page because that's not fair to all the people that donated. Yep. So I wanted to make it a private page that only those who um, listened and donated could could access. But 
I didn't have any luck. So that was the best I could do. Um, you know, if there's anybody out there who who questions my veracity, um, you can certainly attest to the fact that I fulfilled my obligation and uh, thoroughly embarrassed myself for a good cause. Well, I think if um, we gave you a few uh, grapefruits and vodka and uh, and recreated the Fagan's Bar, we could get you to do anything. I would have done it naked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll work on next year. We'll <laughs> we'll we'll make a little fake Fagan's Bar, a little a little thing with wheels that has a copper top on it. Here's what I learned um, from my participation. You just roll you down to the beach. But from my participation in the plunge this year, I learned as long as you are, if you're a guy, as long as you wear coconut bra and a Viking hat, you can basically get away with anything you want. So that's, um, I guess, a lesson learned, and that's what I'll be, uh, I'll be partaking yeah, in next year. You better start ordering it now or else you'll be scrambling around a day before the next one looking for your coconut bra and Viking hat. Uh, well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't. That's what happens to me every year in Halloween. I always come with this great idea like less than a week to go to Halloween. I'm like, well, I'll put that away for next year and I can order it in time. And of course, I never do. And then next year, I come up with another great idea that's too soon to, to um, execute. And I'm like, well, I'll do it next year. So it's all these great Halloween costumes that by the time next year rolls around, I'm like, oh, that's not cool anymore. You know, I just need like, um, I just need like a Hollywood style costume department for me to, to keep <laughs> up with my, <laughs> with my impulsiveness, you know? Uh, well, if it was any other way, it wouldn't be you. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up with a lot of um, thrown together quickly. Halloween costumes like drunk Red Sox player eating fried chicken. Yeah. That was actually a good one. I thought a lot of thought went into that one, but that was a last minute deal. Yeah, it was like I it was like a light bulb went over my head. I knew I had a Red Sox jersey and I was like, I love Popeyes and I love drinking beer. So I went and bought some baseball pants and a new Red Sox hat and I was like, I got an awesome costume. Were you in Boston <laughs> or was that you were, you no, were I was in New Orleans, so only like one person that that saw me out the whole night got it. <laughs> uh, one guy, because most people just don't give a damn about Major League Baseball, right? <laughs> and they and Popeyes is so huge down there that yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody realized. One guy in the bar was like, "Oh, you're the you're a Red Sox guy drinking beer and eating Popeyes." I was like, yep. <laughs> Like you got it. You must watch Sports Center. <laughs> uh, it, it's always uh, it's never much of a hit when you explain the costume to everybody. <laughs> One year, um, I went up to. I was doing some traveling. It was the year I came back from Curacao, and decided to do some traveling and went up to visit some friends uh, in Toronto, um, some Canadians and. I was what attempted to be Walter Sobchak from The Big Lebowski. I was that before. And, you know, I thought I had pulled it off relatively well. But, again, it was a costume that I put together on the drive from New Jersey to Toronto. Yeah, Um, that's that's a rough transition, man. That's a hard thing to pull off there. Yeah, and it needs a lot more specialty items than I was able to 
to accrue. Although I did get bowling shoes, and I thought that that would have just, you know, just really cinched the deal. But apparently, either I didn't do a good enough job, or um, Canadian people weren't versed in the um, Big Lebowski verse because everybody just assumed I was a, a motor. I was in a motorcycle gang. <laughs> nice. So eventually that's just what I went with. It became a lot easier to, to just explain that, yes, I was in a motorcycle gang as opposed to trying to, to uh, recreate the magic of John Goodman as Walter Sobchak. I'll show you some. I'll tell you. Uh, last year, my hat. This year, I didn't even do anything for Halloween. It was a total flop. But uh, 2012 Halloween, I was. Uh, I this was my a great quickie costume. I could, I was thinking of stuff to be, and of course, I couldn't find what I wanted to find. I think I wanted to be Hillbilly Jim. I couldn't find overalls in the store the day of Halloween. <laughs> and of course I was like oh I'll order that and I'll be Hillbilly Jim next year I'll get the hat and everything and that never happened but so last minute was chiching uh, or bring the light goes over my head I went and bought a, a a red and black flannel shirt and a roll of paper towel and I was the brawny man <laughs> <laughs> And I just walked around with a roll of paper towel. And people were like, oh, the brawny man. Brilliant. <laughs> I got way more reaction than, than baseball player. Uh, one of my other quickie costumes a few years ago was, uh, was Barth from, um, from You Can't Do That on Television. Oh, yeah, like the sloppy. Yes. And the funny thing was, I'd stopped in a store to grab beer, which was right, right off of, uh, right in, right in the middle of Two Lanes campus, basically. And kids in there were like, "Who are you?" And I was explaining to them, like, I was like, "It's way before your time, man." <laughs> kids who were born like in 1993 and 94, 95, they were like, "What are you?" <laughs> They had no concept of you can't do that on television. How, did you get like um, was your was your shirt close and everything, or you just had a hat that said Barth? No, I I went uh, I went to the it probably was like two days planning. I went into the thrift store and tried to find a reasonable facsimile uh, of a shirt for that. It must have been 2010. Yeah, it was 2010 because I'm looking at the pictures now. I'm going to try to send you one of these. You know, I I, um, I went I got a chef's hat, a blank apron. You know, I, I, I think I pulled it off all right. You know, I'm going to see just... Hold your horses. I'm going to see if I can hook you up with something. All right. So while you do that, uh, and before we transition off to, to something else, this is kind of a good segue. Um, it, since there's a, a a good amount of, you know, kind of this uh, internal dialogue between you and I that goes on um, for almost any, any episode, 
Um, I took it upon myself to clean up the uh, Two Sorry Excuses website, which had always been in existence, but it was uh, mostly just a, a repository for the audio files. But I gave it a little bit of a facelift and, and um, put a little organization to it. And um, now TwoSorryExcuses.com is a uh, fully functioning live portal for all your Two Sorry Excuses needs. Uh, it's interesting that you say that because I, I looked at the, at the website Saturday night on my phone and I was like blown away by the, uh, by the layout. I was pleasantly surprised. So what, what we'll be able to do here with, um, in addition to have hosting each of the uh, episodes, um, we can also post pictures such as you dressed as Barth for your uh, 2010 Halloween. We can put up the photos of you uh, as the Boston Red Sox guy. This way there's a cross-reference um, for anybody that you know kind of wants to see those pictures live and in living color. Uh, and we've also, I've taken it upon myself to uh, add some blog space. And um, you more than, than me um, traffic in the articulation of witticism. And basically we give those away for free on either your personal Facebook account or your, uh, or the two sorry excuses edition of, uh, Facebook. But the ability to kind of house them under, um, the two sorry excuses brand, I think will, will kind of benefit, uh, us in attempt to gather more listeners as well as, um, benefit you know kind of our pursuits in organizing our uh, our mindless banter so um folks hopefully will be able to uh, to head to two sorry excuses.com in the in the not so distant future not only listen to podcasts live uh, from the site check out pictures um and documentation of specific episodes but also check out uh, our soon to be launched blog which will really have no rhyme nor reason it'll have no set agenda it won't even really have any you know regularity to it but it'll kind of be a place um to expand in long form um you know some of the things that that we might not get to cover on the show so um hopefully you're up for that because i'm springing that on you all right that's fine <laughs> Maybe I'll be able to finally expound my thoughts on fried chicken. <laughs> um, all right. So with that said, uh, we had some basketball this week. Um, none of it was particularly good. You um, you had festivities on Saturday. Uh, so yeah. you had planned on just kind of catching the game when you could, which I think it was probably the best way to – to watch that game because um, I had made plans. Angie and I went out, you know, we kind of game plan for where we were going to watch it. There's a couple places around here that are, you know, pretty decent in terms of sports coverage, but the atmosphere, you know, is a little lacking, but there's a bar uh, right in the next town over, um, you know, within spitting distance that typically has 
um, you know, any major game that you want to watch, as long as it's on one of the major um, sporting networks, and it's never really too crowded. So we headed there. Um, they had uh, they had ESPN on one station, so we kind of, you know, saddled up in front of it in hopes that, you know, that, that nobody would change it. Um, and then about a half an hour before the game, this guy came in, older guy, probably in his 60s. Um, it, it, I don't hope to be this guy, but if I turned out to be this guy in 20 years, I wouldn't be sorry. Um, big mountain of a man, you know, kind of, you know, got everybody's attention from the minute he walked into the bar. Yeah. Set out all his um, all his OTB tickets across the bar. Uh, and he had a, you know, a, an older, um, attractive woman in tow who I may or may not have been his wife, but you know, she looked pretty good for her age. He had the bartender. He was, you know, kind of calling shots, directing, Hey, I need the TVG on that station. I need Channel four on that station. And then he said, you know, I need a, I need the game on this big screen TV. And lucky enough, he apparently he had money on the Syracuse game. So, um, I thought I was going to have to be struggling to get airtime, but this dude ended up getting the 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 bartender to to pull down the you know the big projector and put the Syracuse game on the on the main screen at the end of the bar. That was basically the highlight of Saturday because everything after that was downhill. Yeah, it was just it was a miserable viewing experience. Um, yep. you know, the, it, for the first time, I think all season, I re- you just realized from the get go that this wasn't, this wasn't, this wasn't going to be good. Something wasn't right here. It wasn't that, you know, typical, we got off to a slow start and it was just going to be ugly, and it was going to be a nail-biter. This was, you know what, we got off to a hot start, you know, and we were out ahead 6-2, but after that, um, you just had the feeling that no matter how close it looked, this wasn't going to be a close game. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until... It wasn't until the closing minutes of the game did I realize that um, that Grant was out and Grant hadn't played at all in the second half. <clears throat> you know, we were yeah, just. Yeah, I only got to watch the second half and I was like, where the hell's Grant? And I looked up and I saw that he had played. And I was like, he couldn't have played that much because he only had three attempts and one rebound. I guess he played 13 minutes in the game. Yeah, before they pulled him out for good, but um, it's obvious that not having him in the lineup, besides the fact that we're just not playing that well anyway, it's obvious <laughs> not having him in there is really hurting us. I mean, because even last night, <coughs> CJ and Tyler Ennis had good games, but and those are our two best players, but they can't carry the team if. If no one else is going to play decent. And Tyler Cooney, Trevor Cooney hasn't played decent since the since the Notre Dame game. You know, he's been awful. Virginia game, he hit a few threes, but then when it got 
when it got to the nitty gritty, when they made their separation from us in the second half, he couldn't hit a damn thing, and it was really killing us. Because he took a couple of threes and went clang, they come down, and they either hit a three or got another bucket, and they just, you know, meanwhile, he just kept chucking them up and kept missing them. We um, we shot like 20% um, behind the arc uh, in the Virginia game. And, uh, you know, I don't know what's worse, you know, the fact that he only goes 3 for 10 or that C.J. Fair goes 0 for 5. Even yeah. if even if CJ Fair goes two for five, you know, which is which is a decent enough percentage, uh, those are five possessions that CJ Fair should be taking the ball to the basket, you know. Um, yeah. And he ended up with a with a decent enough uh, a decent enough line, um, although he shot horribly from the you know horribly from the field. Um, that that was just indicative of what the game was like early on uh, before it got out of hand. It was just those type of possessions that you're like, we're not doing something right here. This, you know, this isn't what we should be doing with the ball. Um, and we stayed in it long enough, but you know, it, it got out of hand, um, you know, yeah. t- towards the end of the game. And, and it's not a game that we, that we have played on either end. You know, we haven't been the victor uh, on a game like that, and you know, obviously with with only you know two loss or one loss at the time or two losses at the time, uh, you know, it wasn't a game that you know we we had been on the losing end of. So it was kind of different to watch that game. It was pretty disheartening because uh, I I think that that game meant a lot, obviously in terms of. Um, you know, not a, had nothing to do with with conference seeding or conference tournament implications, but had a lot to do with NCA tournament uh, implications and tournament seedings. And I think you know, before that game, uh, we were still in the conversation for a number one seed. After that game, I think we dropped down to a number two. And looking at some of the, um, you know, some of the ESPN bracketology. Uh, predictions and and whatever you know, take them for what they're worth at the end of February. But uh, a number one seed coming out of the East is a totally different scenario than a number two seed coming out of the East, um, because as a number one seed at the you know at the end of February in terms of projections, uh, the only um, the only sizable matchup in that bracket at that time would have been a Cincinnati matchup, you know, in the Sweet 16, and I think we can yeah. handle, you know, we can handle a Cincinnati team. Um, but I wouldn't um, even be thinking about the number two seed, man. They're talking about number three possibly now, I Well, mean, especially after last night. You know, I think the upside is that you still have tournament, um, the ACC tournament to go, which um, I, I – I don't I, know how, my, how many games we want to play in the tournament anyway. I mean, like – we we made great runs in the Big East tournament, and we would, uh, you know, we'd we'd uh, be out of the NCAA tournament early, very often. You know, well, so it's like how productive is a deep ACC tournament run anyway? Well, here's the here's I think what the difference is, and here's I think what the upside is. The difference between I think the ACC and the Big East is is obviously depth. Uh, you know, the ACC this year you're talking about. You know, four teams, five teams tops 
in terms of you know being legitimate opponents, um, as evidenced by you know our early run in the ACC. Yeah, um, it's not a particularly deep league. I think the Big East year in and year out is a much deeper league with the lesser teams being. Um, Seton Hall, being Rutgers, being St. John's, all playing close to home in New York City, all having something to prove, all having something to play for. I think, you know, they tend to beat each other up during the regular season. And I think that translates into the tenacity during tournament time. So, uh, you know, I think that a Big East tournament is a lot rougher run than an ACC tournament's going to be, especially this year. Yeah. Uh, and the other upside is that when we make typically when we had to make those runs, um, we weren't getting a buy, or we weren't getting two buys. Now in the older yeah. format, I'm sorry, in the newer format, we were obviously getting a buy because you know they were taking 16 teams and you know people were playing on on Tuesday and Wednesday. It was ridiculous. Um, but in some of the older formats, when they were taking less teams and we weren't getting that first day, or we weren't getting that second day by, you know, there were a lot more games to be played against legitimate opponents um, who had something to prove. With the ACC tournament, we've locked ourselves into um, a two-game by, and uh, we don't play until uh, I forget what it is Thursday or Friday, depending on when the when the d- tournament starts. And, um, you know, a showing into the ACC final, I think, is enough because don't forget the ACC plays their game, their championship game on a Sunday and typically doesn't, the outcome of that typically doesn't matter because the, um, the selection committee needs to make their selections in some cases before the ACC game. Um, is over, and in you know most cases, it's only over for a few minutes before they have to put in their final selection. So, um, I think if you know if we can make it to the uh, ACC final, uh, I think that's enough to get us uh, a number two seed as long as we can beat uh, Florida State uh, during the regular season and, finale. And that's the thing, Florida State. While they're they're an underachieving team. Whereas Georgia Tech and BC were just crappy teams we lost to, Florida State's a team that has talent that's just underachieving. So that's that's no given, you know. Um, I mean, especially the way this team's playing. Georgia Tech and Boston College are not good teams, and by no objective equation are they good teams. I agree with that. I, I I definitely agree with that. Um, but we lost to two very bad teams, and I know Jim Beheim says that the defense isn't the problem because they're still ranked second in the league. Well, we know the offense is definitely the problem, but the defense has been, you know, it's it's not a coincidence. Everybody's just not happening to shoot lights out against us from three point range. We're just not as aggressive, you know. They're not forcing the issue. Like in the Boston College game, why did it take them so long to start running a press? Georgia Tech, they almost came back because they decided to run in the last five minutes of the game. But they should have been, you know, they they should have been active earlier. You know, when your offense isn't going good, you got to make points happen. You need to you need to force transition buckets, and they're not doing that right now. Well, I'll tell you one of the things um, that I think 
uh, came to fruition with the Georgia Tech game is maybe we don't have the personnel um, to switch gears like that. Um, during the entire season, I had been one of those folks looking for depth. I was one of those folks who was wondering yeah. why we didn't go deeper. I was one of those folks who was saying, listen, Roberson's got to get more minutes. You know, I, I, I want to see him getting quality minutes. I want to see him making contributions. Well, you know, enough of those people were, were crying out um, yesterday and, you know, really forced uh, Coach B's hand. And he basically came out and he said, listen, Roberson doesn't help us. Yeah, I mean, he said that. He doesn't know the defense. He doesn't know what he's doing out there. He doesn't Even help us. He started doesn't help us on the defensive end. Doesn't help us on the offensive end. You know, yep. the kid kid can't do it. And, you know, essentially, you know, sent him, sent him home crying, called him on the carpet because people are wondering, you know, why aren't we deeper? Why didn't we put ourselves in a better position uh, to be a little more proactive uh, if something happened to Grant, especially uh, after Coleman's season ended, uh, after Cato looked like he was going to miss some time, you know, the the second guessers and the naysayers come out and say, hey, listen, you know, we're not in, we, we haven't prepared. We're, you know, we're not ready for what has been dealt to us, but maybe the personnel is not there, you know. Maybe we're only going six deep because that's, that's all we have who can handle uh, you know, what needs to be handled both on the offensive and the defensive end. I mean, maybe our history proves that. You know, every year this has happened. You know, it's like, not every year, but, you know, two years where we had one seeds where we were strong, strong candidates to win the title. We had major injuries. Now we have this lingering soreness, you know, it's, you know, what's the deal with Grant? Is he, are we resting him up now knowing he's going to feel really good in two weeks? You know, when the tournament starts? I don't know. You yeah. know, is this going to be another injury that torpedoes our hopes? Yeah. Because right now it's not looking good. And I know he doesn't make the whole team. It's not the excuse. He's a pretty big, he's a pretty important cog in, in the machinery. And you can tell by the rebounding numbers on Saturday. The rebounding numbers last night. You know, not having them down there hurts us. We're not getting offensive rebounds. You know, it's just, I don't know. Keita, I love the guy. He tries, but sometimes he really looks lost. I, I wouldn't underestimate, you know, Grant's importance. If I told you on any given game, if I gave you these four lines... Grant, uh, thirteen and six. Christmas eight and seven. Tyler is thirteen points. Trevor Cooney twelve points. If I gave you those four guys every game with those lines, and say you know pencil in Grant, wouldn't you take that? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened on on, on Saturday, uh, except. You know, except Grant played 13 minutes and, and, you know, had no points. So, obviously, you know, listen, on paper, it's important that he's in there because <laughs> there's not much after the starting five. But um, in reality, he's that significant because, you know, he does so much um, or can do so much and requires so much attention 
you know, on on the other team's defensive end of the ball because he's so athletic um, that you can't overestimate his contribution. And uh, back injuries, it's back spasms, right? Uh, that's what they're talking about? Yeah, they say, he just keeps saying it's a sore back. You know, every time he says the same thing, it's a sore back. You know, they haven't even... I, maybe they have said spasms, but Beheim hasn't said spasms. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's problematic because, um, one, his 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 game is his athleticism. So anytime you diminish that, you're going to take away a bit of his effectiveness because, you know, he doesn't have a jump shot and he makes all his, his um, you know, he makes, makes everything happen around the basket. But he's also a slight 6'8". Without a ton of muscle. So when you have those type of injuries, you know, I think they tend to be, they linger. They tend to be problematic until you can change something. And you change something through, you know, rehabilitation or some off-season program. Put on some muscle or or, or something along those lines. And obviously that's not going to happen between now and, and, you know, the tournament time. So hopefully rest will be enough. But I think that's that's one of those injuries that's always, you know, an awkward, you know, drive to the basket away or a hard foul away from coming back. Yeah. I mean, you know, and not to be pessimistic, but, you know, that's that's going to be reality going forward. Uh, and and without him, that's a that's a, a significant, significantly different team. Um, and a significantly different outcome can be expected, you know, with Grant and without Grant. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, as long as he's not in the lineup, things aren't looking up, man. I I don't want to, you know, like Michael Ray Richards said, uh, the ship be sinking. I don't want to be saying that yet because, especially after last year, you know, last year... We scored 30-something points against Georgetown. You know, we were playing really terrible for a stretch there right before the Big East tournament, and then, bam, we found it. Maybe Jeremy Grant, maybe this is doing everything he needs, and being out, he will be completely rejuvenated. He'll come in ready for ready for a run. You know, so I'm not going to – I'm not writing off the season yet. It's just if he's not in there – if for some reason he can't even come back when we get to the NCAA's, uh, our prospects aren't going to be good. And that's how I feel about that. Regardless of whether he's in there or not, we got to shoot better. I mean, we shot forty percent uh, from the field uh, last night, thirty percent from three point range, forty three percent from the free throw stripe, you're not going to win any game, regardless of whether Jeremy Grant's in there or not. Um, And you can't pin that all on Roberson, you know? I mean, he only paid 20 minutes and, you know. I'm going to pin it all on Trevor Cooney. (laughs) At this point, at this point, that's probably as close as you're going to get to being able to pin it on on somebody. I mean, it's kind of systemic, you know? He misses those shots. It's that much easier for them to cover our guys on the inside, you know? I mean, where's the threat if Trevor Cooney's not hitting shots from the outside? 
you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the issue. And another thing is, you know, Christmas was developing a nice little hook shot. That's another reason why having Grant out sucks. When when Ennis is able to penetrate the lane and dish the ball off to somebody, CJ Fair's covered. Jeremy Grant was a hell of a lot better at taking at taking that dish and going up with it and scoring buckets than Christmas is. You know, we got we have serious issues, you know. And they're all they're all interrelated, of course, you know. Here here's the upside. Um and and this is reason enough, you know, to to not lose faith and and um, you know stay on the bandwagon if if you're one of those um, you know kind of lukewarm fair weather fans. And if you are one of those people, fuck you. <laughs> All right. There's um, no room on this bandwagon because it ain't no bandwagon. <laughs> typically, there's two. Uh, there's there's two elements to uh, um, to success in March. One of that, one of those is strong guard play, and the other is uh, senior leadership. And we have both of those. Yeah. You know, for as spotty as Ennis has been lately, and we kind of talked about whether or not that mental fatigue, you know, has started to take its toll on him. Um, you know, he he's still. A premier point guard. He's still. He, he was named ACC freshman a week again for last week. That blew me away. He, I mean, I guess we're a lot harder than, on, on him than the people who are watching are. And goes to show you the 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 gap between him and the average freshman. Yeah. So, um, you know, he certainly will be there, and and he'll certainly make a contribution. Uh, Come tournament time, he's seen enough um, to be battle tested at this point. This team, th- there's nothing you're going to throw at this team, and there's nothing you're going to throw at him that is going to come as a shock. Um, they've seen the high, they've seen the low, um, they've been in tight games, they've been blown out. They'll be ready for almost any scenario. It's just whether or not they can execute. <clears throat> and with strong guard play. And um, obviously, Fair is is proven time and time again that he's there to step up regardless of the circumstance. Uh, he took twenty five shots last night, <clears throat> and you know played forty minutes. He scored twenty eight points. I think that that's a season high. So ties a season high. he certainly is is not going to shy away from you know having to shoulder the load. And I think that's that's all you can hope for is is you know to have Ennis play the way he's capable of playing and you know fair play the way he's been playing and you put those together you stay away from bad luck you get Cooney to play um, his role and then you get contributions that you'd expect from from Christmas and Grant and you're back to where you were you know at the beginning of the season in terms of expectations and, you know, probability of performance. So, you know, I'm not too concerned about these last few weeks. Obviously they, you know, they're not where you want to be, but the college basketball is a funny game, man. You know, a lot of times you're playing to the level of your opponent and you don't get the, the roles that you need to get and you don't get the whistles that you need to get. But, 
those can go your way in March just as much as they can go against you. So, Yeah, that's why I'm not going to write it off. I mean, I've watched enough college basketball in my time to not get too gaga when we're running the table because I've seen us go out early and not get too down when we're when we're basically, um, you know, we're basically shitting the bed because I saw last year, you know. So it's like I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna write off. It's just it's just very frustrating to watch. I subscribe to to two theories which aren't particularly popular, especially now um, in this day and age of of sports talk radio. And the first is uh, you don't need to be the country with the highest medal count in order to have a enjoyable successful olympics and you don't need to be a national champion uh, men's basketball team every year to have an enjoyable uh, and successful march if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that we would be a sweet 16 team and playing into the second weekend of basketball Uh, in March. I would have signed up for that. I would probably sign up for that most years. Um, And if we can do that, I think that that is as much as you can expect. doesn't, you know, take away from anything that we achieved earlier in the year. It doesn't cloud the season. Um, You know, as long as we don't suffer, uh, you know, especially a first round loss, but as long as we make it out of that first weekend of play, um, I think that's, that's all you can hope for in any given March. And I think we're we're hopefully we can get back on track um, to make that a reality. Yeah, um, I think I think we can definitely make a run to the Sweet Sixteen. I think we can go deeper. I think we're just in a rut right now, and hopefully we'll figure our way out of it. I I, I am optimistic that Grant will be back. I'm optimistic that Trevor Cooney will find his shot. And I think if those two things happen, and as long as Ennis keeps being Ennis and Fair keeps being Fair, everything else will fall in place. You know, they'll the defense will will start doing this thing. The buckets will start coming, and the wins will follow. So, I, I, I am still very hopeful. All right, man. Then on that note, uh, with apologies to Girk's brother, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Adios, Sanders.